0: Should be getting a handout. Uh, Parents, if you have kids who are school age, make sure they get a a handout. We should have plenty. If not, I've got more over there. So Um, let me say good morning to you. Good to be together. Enjoyed our service so far. Um, I like that Athanasius quote. Um, I, uh, I've kind of always wanted, this is an idea I've had for a Christmas card. I haven't been able to sell Heather on it yet, but, um, what, so what I want to do is, as you know, as you shoot, uh, family Christmas cards, you take about, uh, 3,000 snaps and there's about two that are, you would be willing for the public to see and you fight over which one of those two is going to go out, right? And then you send that one out because... And the other 2,998 are usually, um, you know, close to evil. Um, as somebody's getting their hair pulled, and another person's shouting something, you open, you know, it's not a live pick. Um, so what I want to do is I actually want to grab one of those shots. And I want to send it out. And I want to send out the beginning of that Athanasius quote. The very first part is all I wanted to say is, and it was for our sorry case, dot, dot, dot. And the back just says, Merry Christmas. Um so I think that would be a fitting, a fitting card. Um, well, uh, hopefully you got a handout online. I think they're going to put a a link for you as well. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 15. Um, this is our either fourth or fifth round at Romans 15. Um, so God willing, we will close this uh, Romans 15 out today. Um, so let me read for you these verses um, and And in terms of the handout, it should have all the verses that I referenced should be there. That's the the hope for that. So you're not having to try to write all that down. So let me pray for or let me read it and then I'll pray for us. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, may we never tire in offering gratitude to you for the giving of your word. We deserve to never hear from you, to never have a word delivered. We deserve that you should never reveal to us the greatness of who you are and how far we've fallen. And yet grace upon grace you have revealed yourself you have revealed yourself through words they've been passed down preserved across the ages we're going to open them up together this morning because your spirit he has worked he has given and you have revealed yourself through the person of your son and so father i pray i pray that through the preaching of your word today That we would be excited to follow the biblical priorities of a church. That your word would be spread, especially among those who have never heard. That the wealth of God would be shared across the world, but even in our own congregation as we share with one another. And that we would be those who submit to the will of God pray for these things father we ask him to you we ask him through our older brother Jesus Christ and we pray that your spirit that he will do his ministry among your people in the preaching and hearing and believing of your word amen so a few weeks ago I sought to show us that in Romans chapter 15 you can see the elements of a biblical orbit There we considered an apple that falls to the ground, if you remember, and we said that the apple, being much smaller than the earth, is drawn to the massive size of the earth. Meanwhile, the earth, being much smaller than the sun, is drawn to the massive size of the sun and stays in orbit thereof. We said that in a biblical orbit, believers, that is, children of God, would be like the apple. The word of God would be like the earth and God himself would be like the sun. That is, the massiveness of God holds in orbit uh, the very word of God about himself. All the while, the vast weight of the word of God constantly draws the children of God, believers, towards the word of God. Mark followed that up in chapters 14 through 24 last time and described the nature of Paul's ministry. And and he explained that Paul had chosen to go to the Gentiles to make a conscious effort to name the name of Jesus where it had not yet been named. And as we follow up this week, Paul is not so much describing his past ministry, but is describing his plans for future ministry. Paul is finishing up ministry in one area Asia Minor, and will pursue ministry in another area. You'll see he has his sights set far west towards Spain. I think each of us can find instruction and insight from this passage into our own lives, thinking of how we make plans, how we set priorities. But this should prove particularly helpful for us as a congregation. As you know, we are seeking a transition in leadership at our church, our congregation has had the incredibly rare gift of having the same senior pastor for over 35 years. And so we've now reached an important time in our congregation, an exciting time, but an important time where we were looking for a transition in leadership. And I believe we can learn from Paul in this chapter about what priorities should guide us as a church but just as much We can be guided as individuals as we set priorities. Every one of us has to set priorities as we plan our lives. So the thrust of this sermon will be to look at what Paul sets out in his plan-making process and use that to instruct us in our plan-making process. Now, one thing I think I owe you throughout this passage is an argument as to why I think this should apply to us, whether it's a church or an individual. That is... What I mean by that is this is Paul's process, but just because it's what Paul is doing here, it doesn't mean automatically that it's what we must be doing. It would be a mistake to read the Bible and have the notion that we should emulate every action that's recorded by biblical leaders and apostles. Just because many believers in Acts chapter 2 sold all that they had and have it in common doesn't mean that we should do exactly likewise. Just because Peter and John demanded that a lame man should get up and walk doesn't mean that we should go by yelling at ailing people and try to heal them. And while Peter preached until a man fell dead, it would be a mistake, I think, for our preaching team to set that as our common goal. Well, you get the point. So actually, I owe you an explanation as to why I believe that this text doesn't just describe Paul's priorities, but also goes further, and this is actually much further, to prescribe those priorities unto us. So let's dive in. The first point, believers should prioritize spreading the word of God in verses 22 through 24. This is the reason, verse 22, why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul says that this is the reason why I've so often been hindered to come to you. So he's wanted to come. He's been hindered. What's the reason? Well, he gives us that reason in verses 20 and 21 should be in your handout. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, verse 21. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ambition was to preach the good news, spread the word of God to places where the word of God had yet to be named. That is why he has been hindered in common. now see this why why was Paul so eager to do this why was he so eager to tell those who've never heard hint it's not simply because he had compassion on them though he certainly did but something stronger something deeper more solid drew him to this task look again at verse 21 how does verse 21 begin These are incredibly important words. But as it is written. That's a statement that means the word of God has been uttered about this. Folks, if the word of God has been uttered about it, it's done. It has to happen. It's logically impossible for it to fail. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Here Paul is quoting from Isaiah 52, written 700 years prior to Paul. Paul wants to preach the word of God to people who have never heard of it. Why? Because the word of God has promised that those who've never been told of him, they will see. And they will understand. So Paul was considered one of the uh, best biblical scholars in his day. But when his heart came alive to Jesus, he read back through the scriptures in his Damascus uh, time uh, in a whole new way. As he reread the scriptures, he saw all the promises of the scriptures point to Jesus. And one of these promises seen in multiple places is that God has ordained the praise of Jesus among all peoples, among all tribes and among all languages. Paul sees this. And like a farmer showing being shown ripe fields, Paul runs to work the fields and gather the harvest. So Paul's. Journeys were divided into three missionary journeys. The first one he's around 42, the second he's around 46, and the third when he's around 49. It was from the third missionary journey that Paul actually pins the book of Romans. So he's at the end of that. That's what he's talking about. Each of these journeys focused on generally the same area. They, what is now modern-day Turkey, and then modern-day greece as paul writes these verses he's he's located at the time he's writing these in modern day turkey and he's dreaming he's dreaming of spreading the word of god as far west as past rome but to spain he needs to return to jerusalem for a a brief time but he's already plotting he's already uh, praying about going to rome and as As he makes plans to go to Rome, he's hoping to go to Spain. He's requesting help from the Roman church on this mission. You can see that. Look at verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Here we see Paul is requesting that the Roman church help him spread the word of God. That's not a small deal. This is not a small deal at all. In fact, and there are good arguments for this, there are many folks that believe that this is the entire reason for the book of Romans. So all the rich theology that we've seen in the book, all the efforts to make the gospel plain, all the explanations of God's plan to reach the Gentiles, all of it serves the purpose of stirring up the desire of the Roman church to help Paul He wants them to love the gospel so much, love the idea of Gentiles hearing it so much that they will help him go to the unreached in Spain. So here is my argument as to why the spreading of the word of God is not just a Paul priority, but a a priority for every Christian church. First, Paul wrote the book of Romans to encourage the priority. Now that's some effort. Second, Paul tells the Roman church in verse 24 that he's expecting their help. And finally, because Paul relied upon churches across uh, where he had preached for all of his efforts to go to the unreached. I believe we sell ourselves short and our churches short if we think this is a task peculiar to Paul. I believe that every believer has to look at his own, his life, her life, and ask the question, How can I give of my time, my priorities, my prayers, my money, my efforts, my talents to join in the spreading of the word of God? I'm thankful that this has become more of a focus for our congregation. A few years ago, we began annually listing out the the top 52 nations with the most unreached people. And, And then each week we pick a specific people group in that nation and pray for them all week until we make our way all the way back through. And we've done that now for a few years. I believe in doing so, we've become sensitized to the vast amount of people unreached in the world. It's mind-blowing, it's sad, but it's helpful. And it's a joy to pray for them. Over the next few weeks, we have the opportunity to give to help international missions as we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. So as we seek a transition in leadership at our church, let's make it a clear priority as a church that this congregation should prioritize spreading the word of God, especially among the unreached. As we spread the word of God, we should be teaching the scriptures, but most especially explaining the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel explains that sin Separates us from God, that is a good judge, God will judge our sin, and that our sinful state has left us unable to withstand His judgment. We need a Savior. And God sent His Son Jesus into our messiness, among our brokenness, right into the midst of our sin. And He stands as the only and sufficient Savior for us. To rescue us so priority number one we must be part of spreading the word of God priority two, we should prioritize sharing the wealth of God at present however verse 25 I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the Saints for Macedonia and Achaia They've been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. In fact, they owe it to them. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So a little bit of background here is necessary. I'm giving you a diagram there in your book. I'm just trying to stay uh, as many diagrams as I can ahead of Mark. That's my way of uh, defending against his dispensational ways. Um, So um, uh, there you have a diagram with a one, two, and a three um, on it. Um, And uh, the number one should point to the mark of the timeline where Paul penned Romans. Number two points to where Paul was arrested after returning to Jerusalem. And number three points to when Paul goes to Rome as a prisoner. So when Paul writes this passage, he does not know how things will play out past point one. He knows he wants to go to Jerusalem and he wants to take an offering to the Christians. He also knows he wants to set out and go all the way to Rome and then eventually to Spain. Little does he know that he'll only make it to Rome in chains. So Paul's priority at the moment of penning pin, of uh, uh, Romans is to see the impoverished believers in Jerusalem receive the offering he has been collecting. So Paul's been collecting an offering for a long time as he traveled through the various churches in what is not now modern-day Turkey. The believers in Jerusalem were in serious trouble. That is, shortly after the ascension of Jesus, the Roman Empire began experiencing a severe, serious time of famine, especially during the time when Claudius was emperor. This was the case for those in Jerusalem, but it was also the case for those in modern-day Turkey. Stick with me. The situation was especially hard in Jerusalem, given the dense population of the city. It was particularly worse for Christian believers because they were being ostracized because of their faith. Combine that with the fact that many people would come to Jerusalem, become converted, and stay. So many of the Christians never left. So the Christians situated in Jerusalem had many mouths to feed in a city experiencing famine, whereby all the while they were being ostracized for their faith. So Paul says in verses 26 that the churches in Macedonia and in Achaia were pleased to help the believers in Jerusalem. But keep in mind, these believers were also in the midst of a famine. So these are not rich believers given to poor believers. These are famished Christians given to slightly more famished Christians. Listen to how Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians. I put that for you there in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and there, listen to this. This is the ones who are giving— and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then. By the will of God to us. Do you hear how Paul talks about them giving beyond their means through severe tests of affliction? Do you hear how they begged Paul for the favor of being able to give? They deeply wanted to help the believers in Jerusalem. So caring for impoverished and persecuted Christians is a biblical priority. Now, notice this isn't just helping the poor. I don't think there's anything wrong with helping the poor. We should certainly help any human, given their value as one created in the image of God. But here the biblical priority is helping fellow believers who are impoverished and or persecuted. And here again, I don't think this is just a Pauline priority. I think we can see see this in the fact that Paul involved all the churches around him in this effort. Outside of the church of Corinth, we we can see that believers in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Galatians all were involved in the effort. Furthermore, Paul is expecting that the Roman church is going to be ready to do the same to help new believers in Spain. So I believe the reason that we have to conclude the sharing the wealth of God, I think we have to conclude that this is a normal biblical priority of a church and of a believer. I'm thankful for the opportunities that we exercise in learning about persecuted Christians and the time we take on a weekly basis to pray for persecuted Christians around the world and specific nations week by week. But let's be challenged to do more, collect more, give more to impoverished believers in the world. This seems daunting, agreed. But friends, if our first century forefathers could pull it off in the midst of a famine, surely we can do more. It's astounding, absolutely mind-blowing that in the richest nations in human history, live a mass amount of Christians. And yet all around the world, believers live day to day impoverished because of their faith. As we plot, as we plan, as we prioritize, let's learn more. Let's pray more. Let's care more. But let's give more. But don't skip over the why. He's, I love this about Paul. He's so great at this. He doesn't just tell you what, he always tells you why. Look at verse 27. He explains why they desire to bring aid to the saints. I love this. You would think, well, I mean, just supposed to, right? I no, ah, just love it about Paul. He never just said, I was supposed to. He's so, like, no, i am explaining to you. It's, it's really actually very, very good. Here he is. Verse 27 for they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to him. Oh well, what good for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing They ought also to be of service to them in the material blessing So why are the believers owed something by the other believers because it is through those in Jerusalem that the word of God spread Paul returns to the same argument. He's advanced it all across the book of Romans. God spoke to Abraham that he would bring a a blessing to the nations. And now God is bringing that to bear. So why should the Gentile believers take money to the Jewish believers if for nothing else? Because they owe them a debt for their spiritual blessings that have come from them. Wow. Now, this is a little bit more of an obtuse application. But I think there is something we can learn about this in spiritual heritage. Present day believers owe a debt to the believers who have gone before them. I take that from there, that right there. The Gentile believers owe a owe to debt to the Jewish believers who went before them. By God's grace, we are a multi-generational church. The older generations of believers have left a spiritual heritage to the younger generation of believers here. As time goes on, the wealth of the energy and strength passes from the older generation to the younger generation. And instead of the younger generation putting up demands in terms of how they want to do things, their preferences are how they like things, I believe the younger generation owes a debt of gratitude to the older generation of believers who've deposited a spiritual heritage to them. The younger generation can show their their appreciation to the older generation in many ways, but especially in worship. I really appreciate the leadership of Mark in picking songs that have been sung for decades as well as new songs. It's a priority to Mark that we don't just... Sing songs rich in biblical content, though that is a priority. Thank you. But also songs that have been sung by older members across uh, their lifetime. It's really a way of honoring God, of how he has worked and continued to work as they can remember. And I'm sure this happens. You remember as you're singing that song where you used to sing that song. Where you first heard that song? Who were the saints that passed something on to you as they sang that song? We should prioritize caring for other believers in worship. We should prioritize caring for older believers when their health, co- when health causes them issues and prioritize praying for them. In so doing, younger believers are sharing the wealth of God, the wealth of youth, energy, and vigor. It's a wealth that is only temporary and always passing hands. And in so doing, we as a congregation are honor- honoring the wonderful work of God in the service and lives of other older believers. Last, believers should prioritize submitting to the will of God. Verses 30 through 33, I appeal to you, brothers, We see Paul making plans. Paul doesn't just affix a prayer. He strives. It's his verb, not mine. He strives in prayer. He asks others to strive in prayer with him. And he makes plans realizing that all of his plans are subject to the will of God. Paul prays that he might be rescued from Jews in Jerusalem when he goes there. That prayer was answered in a sense. God did keep them from killing him, and it wasn't from their lack of trying. But it wasn't fully answered in the sense that he was arrested as soon as he got there. He also prayed that the Jews would accept the offering. That, in the providence of God, was fully answered. Finally, he prays that he might come to, to the Romans. That is answered, as Paul does go to the Romans. But it wasn't fully answered because when he arrived there, he arrived in chains as a prisoner. See, Paul is planning and all the while Paul is praying. I want us to notice a phrase in verse 32 that might appear like just mere religious speak, but it's not mere religious speak. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. By God's will. What does he mean by this statement, by God's will? I've already said, I don't think he's simply tacking on a phrase. No, Paul is referencing his desire to be, to do the will of God. So, what does it mean to do God's will? Well, let's look at it briefly as we work to land the plane. In general, when we speak of the will of God, we may very well be speaking of at least 3 one of three different things. That is, there are in general three ways to talk about the will of God. All of them are speaking about that which pleases God, that which God would like, that which God wants. The first way of speaking of God's will is to speak about his sovereign will. And I offered you a slew of passages, their example of God's sovereign will, there in your handout. I promise you, I'm not going to go through each one of them. Um, I like to think of the sovereign will of God as a book that God penned and He's already placed it on the shelf. Yes, we are still seeing it come to pass, but it has all already been written. It was completed. Before the foundation of the world, before the foundations of the world, it was pinned when you would be born, when you would stub your toe, that you would win bingo in your third grade Christmas party, that you would lose out by a few seconds on that prime parking spot you lost last week. All of the details of the world are comprised in God's sovereign plan. Nobody can change it. Nobody can thwart it. The second way we talk about the will of God, that which pleases God, is the moral will of God. I've also given you a listing of places uh, in the scriptures where you can hear uh, the, the scriptures talk about the moral will of God. In those passages, believers are encouraged to do the will of God, meaning to engage in actions and attitudes that are pleasing to God because they represent morally right, virtuous ways of being. And then finally... There's a third way to talk about God, the will of God. It's often called the individual will of God. This is the will of God for the life of believer. I gave you some examples. One of these examples is found in Romans chapter one, where Paul opens it up. It actually sounds a lot like what's happening now as he's closing in Romans fifteen, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at least at last succeed. And coming to you chapter 1 verse 10 notice that unlike the sovereign in the moral will of God this one's a little bit less certain there's nothing uncertain about the sovereign will of God if it's there it'll happen there's nothing uh, uncertain about the moral will of God if that's what God wants it's not changing but this third will of God is the one that believers are working to understand. It is the will of God in which uh, situated in the realm of which plans are made. Now, many will call this the individual will of God. I honestly don't like that designation. I'm afraid it brings a lot of confusion. Through the last few decades, there was an immense focus in evangelical life around the, quote, Individual will of God, as believers were encouraged to figure out the ever-evasive will of God for their every decision. What would be the will of God for where I eat lunch, or where a what career I pursue, whether I should give—is it the will of God I should give those Salvation Army folks ringing that bell on the way into Walgreens, or what is the will of God for who I should marry? Quite frankly, I don't see any biblical warrant for that method of decision-making for believers. I don't. I believe that God has given us wisdom to operate inside the boundaries of his moral will and fill the great freedom that he has it all figured out within his sovereign will. So instead, I think we should think of this third category not as the individual will of God, but something like, I really don't like this, but I couldn't come up with anything better, missional will of God. So God. So Paul says here in in Romans 15, 32, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. I believe as Paul is praying for the advancement of the kingdom, he is praying for the kingdom of God to come about and is envisioning how that might happen. Notice these are not simple life decisions. These are kingdom minded plans to what? serve the kingdom. The prayer is that God may be pleased with these plans and may bring them about if God so desires. In this way, Paul is submitting himself to the sovereign will of God and making plans to be part of the missional kingdom will, kingdom-growing will of God. So this third priority of ours, it really is a priority of submission of submitting ourselves and our lives and our plans unto the will of God. We do this by making plans as a church. Make plans. You got to make a plan. Make plans to advance the kingdom of God, in particular advancing the spreading of the word of God and spreading the wealth of God. We need to be plotting, planning and then striving in prayer that God may use us for the advancement of the kingdom. And one of the biggest reasons to do this, if not quite honestly, the biggest, is that so when it does happen, God forbid anybody ever says we did this on our own. The insurance of prayer beforehand is that when God does do what he wants, he alone gets credit for it. So in closing, let's play a final round of Jeopardy. It's the final round, and and here's the question. This event has the following three major components. One, to spread the word of God. Two, to share the wealth of God. Three, to submit to the will of God. One, to spread the word of God. Two, to share the wealth of God. And three, to submit to the will of God. What is your response? Well, because you're good listeners, you're going to say Romans 15. Um, Good for you. You did great. You passed. You're good to go. But had you not heard this sermon, I'm going to guess if I would have told you spreading the word of God, sharing the wealth of God and submitting to the will of God. And I told you to pick a biblical event. I'm going to say we would land at the Incarnation. I I can't imagine anything more. What is the Incarnation? It's the divine spreading of the Word of God. We just read in John 1, what? In the beginning was the Word, right? What is the Incarnation but the sharing of the wealth of God? Philosophically, there is no other being with more value than God himself the incarnation is the divine sharing of what? the wealth the vast wealth of God and read the gospels and tell me if you could describe the life of Jesus as anything short of full submission to what? the will of God and so it's not. There's a there's a beautiful symmetry to that. It makes sense that a Christian church, a church following after Jesus Christ would follow in the exact same priorities as the son of God himself. So let's set it as our priority. Spread the word of God, share the wealth of God and submit together to the will of God. Let me pray for us. Father, there are no words to express our thankfulness that you have spread the word of God to us. If there is anyone in this room who cannot resonate in their heart, heartfelt thankfulness that they have heard, the Word of God. I pray, God, that you would save them. Would today be the day? For the first time, they realize the greatest gift they'll ever be given is to hear the Word of God. Father, thank you that you have shared your wealth with us. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to show us submission in ways that we could never imagine ever imagine so father i pray for cornerstone baptist i pray that we would be a church who emulates these priorities by your grace and for your glory we ask these things to you father through jesus christ your son that your spirit who's given us your word will do his work amen